The reading this evening is taken from John chapter 4, starting at verse 4, going to verse 26. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. This is the word of God. Well, good evening, everyone. My name is Emily, and I'm one of the student pastors here. And if we haven't met or if you're new here, really warm welcome to you this evening. And I have the joy of continuing on in our series in John's Gospel, looking at Jesus. And tonight we're going to be considering Jesus as the one who brings restoration in a time of retribution. Now, I don't know about you, but I often find the idea of forgiveness great. I love thinking about forgiveness. It's really important until I actually have to forgive someone that's done something wrong to me, or in actual fact, I have to ask someone to forgive me. 
as Elton once said, sorry often seems to be the hardest word. Well, for the Bieber fans among you, it's too late to say sorry now. Um, you know, on the one hand, we see in our society and in our culture, we see a cry for justice and truth. We're seeing more and more people be exposed and causes fought for, which is so important. Gen Z are considered to be the truth generation. But yet, on the other hand, we're often quick if anyone puts a foot wrong to cancel them. It's so easy to point out the faults in everyone else and perhaps often harder to consider what's going on in our own hearts and our own lives. The question is, can we somehow hold these things together? And in our passage today, in John chapter, chapter 4, do keep it open if you have your Bibles with you, we're going to see how an encounter with Jesus can totally transform a person's life. We see beautifully held together justice and truth with love incarnate, with compassion and mercy. In Jesus' interaction with the Samaritan woman, in a time of retribution, we see restoration. So firstly, we see Jesus moving towards us in love. Now you might be familiar with John chapter 4, you might know this story well, but let me just remind you of the scene of the context of what's going on. We read that Jesus has been journeying with his disciples and he has to make this detour to the town of Samaria. In fact, we read it's no accident that he went there, that he chose to move towards this place, to stop at a well. And it's there in the heat of the midday sun that he sits down and greets this Samaritan woman, tired and thirsty, and he asks her for a drink. And in her response, you can almost feel the tension as if she looks around to check, is he really speaking to me? She says in verse 9, she says, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Why was it so shocking that he was speaking to her? What made this such an extraordinary encounter? Well, firstly, because of the culture of the time, because of the ethnicity of the Samaritan people. There'd been nearly 500 years of hostility between Jews and Samaritans. The Samaritans and Jews shared a common heritage of worship, but the Samaritans had intermarried with people from another people group. They developed a different culture and style of worship, and sadly there was deep division and hostility between these people groups. So no respectable Jewish man would have interacted in such a way with a Samaritan. Not only that, not just a Samaritan, a Samaritan woman. In a patriarchal society, unmarried men and women wouldn't have interacted freely. But not just a Samaritan and a Samaritan woman. Perhaps even more shocking was the fact that this Samaritan woman was an outcast of society. She found herself at the well at the hottest time of the day when no one else would be around. She didn't want to be seen. And we'll learn more about her history and why that is as the story goes on. But Jesus didn't make his detour to Samaria to sit down at this well to judge and condemn her. No, he makes this detour to this well. He moves towards her for the reason for which he came to earth. His love moves him towards her. His, his love moves himself towards each and every one of us here today. But you know, Jesus doesn't kind of march up to her or float on a cloud and say, I am the Messiah and make her feel small and unworthy. No, he just sits down. He meets her where she's at. And he vulnerably says, can you give me a drink? He engages in a thoughtful conversation. But then it's at this point where she's even more confused because he says to her, 
If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now she's like, wait a minute, am I giving you a drink or are you giving me a drink? And where's the bucket? What is going on here? This is a slightly strange interaction that we've got going on. But one thing I think she does know is the significance of wells in her history of her family. And she asks a really poignant question in verse 12. She says, are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us water from this well? And you know, something I was struck by rereading this familiar passage again this week and chatting to a friend about it was that so many times in the Bible, we see that love stories begin at wells. We think back to the first couple in the Bible where we, we see something happening at a well, Isaac and Rebekah. Isaac had sent his servant to find him a wife, and his servant had prayed, God, if this is the woman for, for Isaac, then she'll draw water from the well. And surely enough, she did. And things escalated, and they get married. And then a little bit further on, we've got Jacob and Rachel again. It's at the, way, at the well that he sees his wife. And then even a little bit further on, we have Moses and Sephora. You guessed it again, at a well. I actually once had a friend who, uh, we were at a Christian festival, and she went to go fill up her water bottle. And she came back really excited and told me that she'd met someone she'd liked at the well. Um, it didn't end that well. She didn't end up marrying this man. She actually briefly dated his brother. But anyway, that's another story. Um, I should say, if anyone is interested to know, the water station is just at the back there at the, at the right if you do want to hang out there afterwards. But perhaps, you know, John, as he was recording this scene of Jesus making his journey specifically through Samaria to meet this woman at the well, he might have had in mind these love stories of the Bible, of the history of these people, of Isaac, Jacob, and Moses. But this is a love story like no other. You see, Jesus crosses all cultural, social, racial barriers in order not to take from this woman, but to give to her to offer her a free gift of living water, to offer the gift of everlasting love for which she'd been searching for, to be in the bigger picture, betrothed to him in perfect union forever. And wherever you're at today, whatever brings you here, whatever you might have done or however you might be feeling, the same Jesus who moved towards that Samaritan woman in love, who felt like she didn't belong, He's moving towards you today in love. He's always moving towards us in love. You see, this woman now, as the conversation goes on, we see that she's starting to be more and more intrigued by this water. But you know, for a gift to be truly a gift, it has to actually be received, it has to be opened up. She says in verse 15, please you know, give me this water that you speak of. I don't want to be thirsty. I don't want to have to keep coming here in the heat of the day on my own to, to, to draw up this water. I don't want to be trapped in this cycle of what I'm living in. It's like at this point, she's drawn to the gift that Jesus can give her, but not necessarily Jesus himself. And in order for her to truly receive and accept the gift of life that was on offer to her, Jesus himself, Jesus actually had to expose her true thirst. She had to encounter the truth that would set her free. So Jesus not only moves towards her in love, but he also uses, brings truth to set us free. And so as we move on in the story in verses 16 and 18, we see and understand a little bit more of why she's alone at the well in the heat of the day. As Jesus reveals and opens up the conversation that it's not one husband she's had, it's five. And the man that she's now living with is not her husband. 
You know, I remember not long after I'd been a Christian um, as a student here in the city, and I heard someone preaching on this passage. And for some reason, when they mentioned this kind of five mistakes, all I heard was, well, I've made more than five mistakes. You know, often we, we love to compare ourselves with other people. We think everyone else has got it together and I don't. Whether you've committed five crimes or 50 crimes, whether you've had five broken past relationships or 55, whether you've lied five times or 500 times, there isn't a scale. You know, as Paul writes in Romans, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And for love to be true love, you can't just pick and choose, you know, the good bits. That's the love as, we tru- as, we, as the whole person as we truly are. Jesus sees all of the good and all of the bad. And to understand what this living water truly was, Jesus had to show the woman where she was trying to find her satisfaction in other places, the places that she'd been searching for love. Now, most of us, I think, will have probably had very little experience of what it is to be truly physically thirsty, to not have access to living, uh, to, to clean running water. But a couple of weeks ago, if you were trying to drive around Oxford, you might have found yourself a little bit delayed when the water pipe burst caused quite a bit of disruption. But worst of all, whole areas of the city were cut off from water for a few days. It was as if suddenly we realized just how incredibly fortunate we were to have access to running water. And you know, sometimes it's like something has to jolt us or wake us up for us to realize where our true thirst lies. You know, if we try and find our thirst, the thing that our souls are truly longing for, to be found in God in any other created thing, if we try and find it in money, in romance, in our families, in success, in our image, in you name it, all these are good things. But if we try and find the longing that our souls are searching for in that, we will thirst again. They can never satisfy the longing of our souls. But Jesus didn't want this woman to be trapped in her sin. He he brings it into the light, not to condemn her, not to shame her, but to set her free. And you know, it's up until this point, the conversation has been a little bit more kind of in a head level, and and she hasn't really been moved. But yet, as Jesus exposes this situation that she's in, as it's almost like an arrow directly to the heart, and it's for the first time, it's like she saw herself as she truly was. And that's why we love here to open up times for prayer, for allowing the Holy Spirit to come and search our hearts, not to kind of expose ourselves, but to allow God into those deeper places to set us free. And what incredible freedom he brings. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is in Romans. It says, do you not know that it's the Lord's kindness that leads you to repentance? Repentance just means turning around, turning to face God. You know, in my pride, before I was a Christian, I, you know, I was happy for, for friends and family members that I knew that were Christians. I was like, guys, I'm happy for you. That's, that's great, but I just don't really need God. That was kind of the place I was at. And, you know, it wasn't until things went a little bit up and down for me and I came to that place where I really knew there was something missing in my life, how deeply wrong I was that I thought I didn't need God. But it was the most wonderful thing to come into this head building, to encounter the love of Jesus, and to know the joy of being saying, I'm a sinner and I need you, Jesus, come into my life. And of course, it's been a journey of ups and downs ever since, but it's as if the cross just gets bigger and bigger. I realize often the closer I get to God, the more sinful I am, but also the more greater depths of his mercy and love. And when we encounter Jesus, we see love and truth together in the most beautiful way. We see restoration in a time of retribution. 
So Jesus, finally, he brings restoration. He not only seeks those who are on the edge, those who feel like they don't belong, not just to forgive them and redeem them, but to turn their lives around, to restore what has been taken, to restore the things that have gone wrong. In verse 19, we read that this woman is now recognizing Jesus as a prophet, but she still can't quite work out. How is it that I'm going to be allowed to worship um, like the others? How, how is this all going to work out? But this is exactly what makes this encounter so remarkable, where Jesus now takes it straight to the heart of what he's come to do. He says in verse 21, he says, Believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. And then in verse 23, he says, Yet a time is coming, it has now come, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers that the Father seeks. And in John's Gospel, whenever we see the word, the hour, it's always talking about the reason for which Jesus came, the hour for which he came. He's saying, yes, right now, there are physical temples, there are only certain people, there are rituals that you have to go through in order to come close to me. But a time is coming, a time has come. I am here, the time that you have been waiting for. And as Jesus sits down, fully God, fully man, God incarnate, sits down at the well and asks this woman on the edge for a drink, knowing what he's about to reveal, his true identity as the Messiah, the Savior, you know, I can almost picture him seeing, him, seeing this woman through his eyes of love, seeing through the sovereignty of God, through the eyes of the hour for which he came, through the eyes of the cross, a place not far from that well where he knew he would truly satisfy her thirst, where he would cry out in his final moments, I thirst. And it's on the cross where Jesus, who lived the most beautiful life that anyone has ever lived, where he took upon himself all of the punishment that we deserved, the full weight of our sin and our shame, where he chose to pay the price for our freedom. And it was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross. But it's from the cross of Christ that that river of living water flows, that eternal gift he came to bring so that we would never thirst again. Because on the third day, a day that changed history forever. Jesus wasn't trapped by death. Jesus defeated death. The river of life could not be stopped. And it's because Jesus thirsted himself on the cross that he can quench our deepest thirsts. It's because Jesus suffered rejection and pain that he is able to heal even our deepest wounds. It's because Jesus died on the cross. He meets us in our place of death and turns it into a place of life. And it's because Jesus thirsted then and that we can be set free to receive forgiveness but also be empowered to forgive others and when we receive his spirit into our lives when we receive that gift of living water our lives can become a spring of living water for others as Jesus said streams of living water will flow from within them and we see the power of a changed life in this woman's story you know when the disciples get back they've seen Jesus do some cool things but they're even amazed just to find him sitting there with the Samaritan woman. And we can still be amazed again and again by the ways Jesus interacts with people. And then verse 29, a little bit later, she says, she says that she goes back into this town, the place that had rejected her. She goes and says, come, come and see the man that has told me everything I had ever done. Could this be the Christ? And we see in the story that because of this woman's testimony, because of what she shared, that many of the town began to believe in Jesus. Many of the village responded. He had to stay there an extra two days just because of the amount of people that had heard about what he had done. 
Never underestimate the power of your story, whether you've known Jesus your whole life, or whether you've met him last week, or even today. Your testimony has power. Her life became a spring of living water. In fact, she became the first evangelist, this woman on the edge of society. God used her life so powerfully. I want to say, imagine how his living water can flow through you. His living water can flow through you in so many different places. Restoration in a time of retribution. Never underestimate the power of the gospel in your life. Because that same living water that that woman encountered is on offer to each of us today. You know, I met a man actually this weekend um, in his 80s. He's a church warden, not at this church, at another church. And I later found out that he'd met my dad over 30 years ago. And my dad had just had a little conversation with him not long after he'd become a Christian. And that was just one of the seeds that was sown in his life that led to this man, now in his 80s, following the Lord, him becoming a Christian. There's amazing opportunities that we have every day to share of this living water. I want to encourage you this week, who might the Lord be leading you to show his loving kindness to? Perhaps it might literally be at the water station at work this week. Just someone he puts on your heart to ask a deeper question than you normally might. Or perhaps it's someone who sits alone at lunch, or someone you've just seen on the edge in your workplace. Perhaps it's a family member you just feel stirred to call up to see how they're doing. Perhaps it's a person in your church, small group, or community that you find quite difficult, but actually the Holy Spirit wants to use you to to bring healing to them. People are thirsty. The harvest is plentiful. And Jesus wants to use you as a voice for him, as someone who can simply say, come and see the man I've met. Come and see Jesus. Jesus meets this woman at the well. He redeems her life. That's where the love story began. And one day, as we read in the book of Revelation, Jesus will return and there'll be another wedding when Jesus the bridegroom comes to meet the church, his bride, where he will wipe away every tear. There'll be no more death, no more mourning, no more pain, and there will be a river that flows from the eternal throne of God. But even in the midst of the struggles and the pain that we face right now, we can taste of this goodness and joy and the victory of Christ. We can draw from the wells of salvation. We can come again and again to receive that gift of living water, a deep, unshaking current that can hold us when we stay connected to the source of living water. You can't help but overflow with life. How do we love like Jesus? How do we forgive like Jesus? How do we display love and truth? Well, we just come to him again and again to receive of that living water. And in a moment, we're going to come before the Lord's table. We're going to take communion together. We have an opportunity to remember what Jesus has done for us and to be reminded that he is going to come back again, that he took that cup of wrath so that we never have to thirst again. Jesus is moving towards you in love. Jesus' truth comes to set you free. And Jesus longs to restore all areas of your life. Amen.